Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. It's Jeremiah Johnson. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about the gospel and poverty today. But before we dive in, thanks for listening. As always, we exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. We want to remind you guys, you can listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast on whatever your favorite app is, so do that. And along with that, we encourage you guys, if you're listening on the Anchor platform, there is a support this podcast button. Smash that. We hope that you'll become a supporter of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Like, share, subscribe, tell someone about it. And then secondly, I hope you guys, uh, did you notice the last episode that we have? It was a very special Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles edition with Isaiah and Hezekiah. I have twin boys. They just turned five years old. They had a Ninja Turtle birthday party. I put them to bed last night. They love podcasting, and so they wanted to make a special Ninja Turtles podcast. So every once in a while, I just got to have fun. I got to upload just a, something super fun just to make you laugh. It was only like not even three minutes. You guys, if you've listened to the Grace Point Daily for a while, you notice that a while back they did a Power Rangers podcast. So anyway, they're boys, right? It's where they're at in life. Today, we're going to talk about the gospel in poverty, and this is, I think, something as Americans we probably all struggle a little bit with, and I'm going to be open and honest. I think one of my biggest struggles as a pastor is benevolence or helping uh, poor people, and I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but figuring out how we can really help and benefit people that are in a, a place of poverty. And we're going to really talk about it not only locally, but across the world, how we deal with poverty as followers of Jesus, specifically being kind of rich Americans. And But these these truths are going to be general for all of us, because I know that we have listeners all across the world, and I really appreciate that. So let's start off with the verse. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, you shall love Love the eternal one, your God, with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So kind of simple in one sense, right, is that we're supposed to love God with everything, and then the kicker being we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So before we talk about poverty, let's talk about how rich we are, because in modernized world or in America, or if you're in a more modern setting or environment, we tend to be so much wealthier than the vast majority of the world. And I'm not even sure that we realize it. But one area, if you are a follower of Jesus, the one area that we have to acknowledge that we're rich in for, let's not, let's not even talk about worldly or earthly wealth for a second. Let's talk about spiritually. And I thought this verse was powerful. Ephesians chapter two, verse four to seven says, but God being being so rich in mercy because of his uh, being, excuse me, being so very rich in mercy because of his great, wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ for by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. So without question, our greatest wealth is found in the gospel itself. We're rich. The Bible says we are rich in mercy. We are rich in the love of God because of what he has done for us. But also as Americans or in a modern world or modern setting, we we can tend to be very materially rich as well. Just by having the simplest of things makes us wealthy and so much 
better off than the majority of the world. For example, by having clean water, sufficient food, clothes, a roof over your head, access to medicine, a mode of transportation, the ability to read a book. If you checked yes to any of those boxes, that makes us richer than billions of people in the world. Isn't that crazy? Just those simple things there's still billions of people that don't have access to those things in the world. And it's interesting for me now, I've had the opportunity to take a good number of missions trips, not quite 30. I'm Again, I'd have to sit down and really count. I'm somewhere between the 25 and 30 mark. So a pretty good amount, pretty healthy amount of short-term missions trips in various countries. And every country I've taken a missions trips to, you know what I've found interesting is what's their dream? What do they hope for? What do they long for? And almost 99.9% of the time, every one of them, and I probably could just say 100, every one of them want to go to America. They want to go to America because they view Americans as we are just this endlessly wealthy, rich country. It's like they think, I don't know, they must think I have like bucket loads of cash just sitting around or money or those kind of things. And I don't, but compared to them, I have so much more than them. And uh, so we are blessed. We are rich. We're rich in mercy. And we're rich, too, in terms of what we have and what we have access to uh, in this country of America specifically. And for those of you listening to other countries, if you're in a modern environment and uh, not rural and anyway, remember, Jesus has called us to love our neighbors. And guess what? That includes your neighbor, neighbor, the one next door to you. But He's requiring us and calling us to love the world. And that's why I'm grateful that the church I'm a part of here at Grace Point in uh, Carthage, Missouri, is that our church has a wonderful passion to love our neighbors because we give the missionaries, 63 missionaries all across the world and across the globe, and we give financially to local, to Salvation Army and Crisis Center, Feeding Inc. in our own community. So I'm grateful to be a part of a church that has a tremendous love for our neighbors, but that's what God has called us to do. We all need that individually, a love for our neighbors, a love for those and to love them as uh, we would love ourselves. Look at this verse. First John three seventeen says, but whoever has the world's goods, adequate resources, this is out of the Amplified, and sees his brother in need, but has no compassion on him, how does the love of God live in him? So guys, God has a heart for the poor. And I, you know, I, I struggle with that. How many of you would say you struggle with that? And there's a number of reasons that we probably struggle with that. And for me, I grew up in a very hardworking family. I grew up, I can grow up, remember growing up in a family that, that did not want welfare, that looked down on people that had welfare or poverty people because I was never rich, but I worked in this blue collar, hardworking family that would never, never, never ask for money that would work to pay their bills, etc. And so even as I get older, I can still realize that I grew up in that type of environment. So when I connect with someone who is poor and in need, you know, sometimes to be honest, right? You want me to be honest? I can kind of be that person. that's like, get a job, work. Uh, I'm working. Why don't you work too? But you know, we have to remember that God has a heart for the poor. Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever shuts his ears at the cry of the poor will cry out himself and not be answered. Proverbs 28, 27 says, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes from their need will have many curses. So, wow, I'm convicted after reading that, that I have to make sure that 
And we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, that we don't just give to anyone who's poor, that there is a method to that, that we should use wisdom in helping the poor and making sure that we are being productive with them and helping them. But yet we have to understand the reality is that God has called us to give, to serve, and to help the poor. It's it's a work. It's a work of faith that God has called us to do. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 says, What is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that kind of faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. If a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, go in peace with my blessing, keep warm and feed yourselves, but he does not give them the necessities for the body, what good does that do? So too faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead and operative and ineffective. I'm convicted, getting convicted by reading all these verses, and that's what I'm going to try to do. So what is that passage saying? That passage is saying that that we have to produce works in our faith, and one of the ways that we can do that is by helping the poor, the poor that have desperate needs, that we reach out to them, and we can't ignore that reality. We can't ignore that fact. It's something that every believer is called to be active and a part of. And guess what? Sometimes, how many can say that? Sometimes that's my excuse. It's like, well, I'm I'm not really called to that area of ministry, brother. Uh, no, our it's it's a part of all of our callings as believers and followers of Jesus to help the poor. Yes, maybe my full-time job is not working at the Salvation Army, but loving my neighbor is. Helping the neighbor should be a part of my faith walk. Amen. First John 3, 16 to 18 says, But this we know, and have come to understand the depth and essence of his precious love, that he willingly laid down his life for us because he loved us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the believers. But whoever has the world's goods, adequate resources, and sees his brother in need, but has no compassion for him, how does the love of God live in him? Ugh. These are convicting, aren't they? (laughs) Little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. Man, faith and action. And I love, again, I'm going through this book right now called Counterculture, uh, by David Platt. I encourage you to read it. And he's talking about a lot of issues. And I just felt it was ne- necessary for our church to talk about these issues for a few weeks. But I love, he talks about, you know, want to versus have to. Uh, you know, th- that we feel like, and this happens <laughs> in, in every aspect of our faith. I think like, oh, I have to go to church. I have to give a tithe, I have to worship, I have to read my Bible. Is it is it is that our perspective or is it a want to? The, the, the want to versus the have to is like, no, I want to serve God. I want to worship God. I want to give to him. I want to help the poor. We don't care for the poor because of some superficial sense that we have to, but because of a supernatural compulsion that causes us to want to. And so, man, I'm, I am totally preaching to myself on this one that God helped me to want to help the poor, those down and broken and need that don't have, I love how I'm re, re, been mostly reading out of the amplified version that don't have adequate resources that I am moved by compassion. That is something is stirred up inside of me to want to reach 
reach out and connect and to serve them as well. If you guys listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast, we just had Derek Manivel on, and he works with the poor and those that don't have adequate resources. And I tell you what, I was convicted about how we need to make sure that we are serving and being a part and partnering with those ministries to do the work of God. So today I want to talk in this uh, this podcast about five simple but si- uh, significant implications of the gospel for our lives in a world of urgent spiritual uh, and physical poverty, all right? So the first one is this, is that we're going to have to work diligently, and we just read that in the book of James, that we are going to have to do the work of the gospel, uh, which is more than theory, which is more than spiritual. It's doing something physical, using your skills and God-given talents to produce what good works in the world. The point is not that we have to all quit our jobs and work full-time at the food bank or work for Salvation Army. Rather, we can use our work to do good works. And that's the point. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And we're not so much diving in on that particular topic, but the Bible says that we all have gifts, talents, abilities, and anointings, and we're supposed to use those to do and produce good works. Some of you have great gifts and talents that you could in turn use to do the works of God. Remember, we are rich, right? And here's what the Bible says to us. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, As for the rich in this present world, and struck them not to be conceited and arrogant, not set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and struck them to do good, to do good works, to work diligently, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share with others. In this way, storing up for themselves the enduring riches of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And I, I don't even know if he would ever stumble across this podcast, but uh, along the journey, I don't have to mention his name, but I had a friend. I have one legitimately wealthy friend who is in business and finance and those kind of things. We've kind of lost a little bit of connection because I've moved a couple of times since then. But man, the one thing I appreciate about this friend is although he had a lot of wealth, he had such a heart to do the work of God. And you could just see that he was not, he was not bound by money. He, I mean, he, he had nice things. He had a big house. He had nice stuff. He did, but he was always willing to give. He was always willing to do the works of God. And that seemed to be the greatest priority of, of his life. And that seems to be what the gospel tells us. It's like, it's not like we all have to be poor and wretched and we all have to, you know, work at homeless shelters and something like that. I mean, we can do that. And and they're like Derek Manivel and people like that. They're just such godly people that have taken the mantles of leadership in some of these areas, but it's about doing good works. It's about letting God take ownership over everything that we have and be willing to give it all away. God doesn't command the rich to stop making money. Instead, he commands us, remember we're all rich, to use our money, our resources, our talents, skills on earth to store up treasures where? In eternity. So number one, we need to do the works of God, right? To do good works and to work diligently unto the Lord. Number two, live simply. The gospel compels us to live simply. Working is good, making money is good, but the downfall can come through what we are doing with it. And again, this is scary. All right, look at 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10. I'm tossing out loads and loads of scripture at you today. But those who are not financially ethical 
crave to get rich with a compulsive greeting longing for wealth, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, leading to personal misery. For the love of money, that is the greed, desire for it, and the willingness to gain it unethically as a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through and through with many sorrows. So guys, again, take this in context, in the right context. Money is not evil by nature, right? However, money and the hands of sinful people can be dangerous and deadly when it becomes that all-consuming thing in our life. It can become deadly, right? Scripture gives us a remedy to the lure of money. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-8, it says, But godliness actually is a source of great gain when accompanied by contentment, that contentment which comes from a sense of inner confidence based on the sufficiency of God. For we have brought nothing into the world, so it is clear that we can take nothing out of it either. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Is there? That's the goal, right? Our, our, a spirit of contentment. If When it comes to money, if we're like, we got to have more and that's all we care about and getting stuff and are you content with what you have? And if you would, if Jesus would call you to give away all that you have, would you be content to say, you know what? I don't need this stuff. I mean, this is not what makes me happy. Jesus is what gives me contentment. Jesus is what fulfills my life and gives me hope and gives me healing, right? There's this bumper sticker uh, that was popular, that is popular. Maybe you've seen it before. That is completely inaccurate, by the way. But it says, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Ah. And I tell you what, I have probably done now more funerals than weddings. Funerals is part of a pastor's job. (laughs) Those are never really that fun, per se. But I've done funerals and been at funerals for people who had more resources or wealth than others. And guess what? Every single one of those people that are dead, which I will be someday if Jesus doesn't come back, are all in a casket or they got cremated and they were buried six feet underground. And we put nothing in their casket, nothing. They did not have the ability to take anything with them from this life to the next life, right? Uh, and so sometimes we are just focusing and toiling and laboring in this life to just get stuff for us, and that is not the point. We're supposed to do number three. Here's the third thing, is we're supposed to give sacrificially. Beyond living simply, the gospel compels us to give sacrificially. Second Corinthians 8, 2 to 4 says, for during an ordeal, uh, for during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. For I testify that according to uh, their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. This Corinthian church was a generous church. They were willing to give sacrificially. It says, according and even beyond their ability. I want to challenge you to do that I, I, because I have personally done this in our family. We have given financially at, at times beyond our ability. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't always um, even financial people that we follow might not give that recommendation, but God does. 
that step of faith where, and, and I'm not trying to be like the prosperity guy either, where it's like, oh, you know, just throw, toss your keys and offering and all your money and you're going to get blessed. Hallelujah. That's not the point. It's about learning to give sacrificially in our life. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. I, I haven't quoted him for a while. I'm a big C.S. Lewis guy, and I've never read this point up until uh, just today. It says He said this, he said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own. We are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities expenditure excludes them. Wow. Isn't it? Do you get what he's saying there? I mean, he's a smart British guy. So a little bit, he talks a little bit deep and complicated at times. Basically what he's saying is like, you know what? They, we should be giving so sacrificially to God, to the poor, to the work of God, to the investment of eternity, that sometimes there's going to be things that we cannot do in our life because we just don't have the financial ability to, because we've given that money away. Well, I'll let you munch on that. All right. All right. Number four, help constructively. First Timothy five, chapter five says, now a woman who is really a widow and has been left entirely alone without adequate income, trust in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And so the Bible does give us some direction and, and, and that really is good. And that's affirming to me in terms of giving to the poor is that we're supposed to give to widows and to, to orphans. And the Bible does tell we're, there's supposed to be a little bit of wisdom and strategic thinking that we're not just randomly throwing our money out there because how many of you know, and as a pastor, I've encountered this. I've had people that have come into our church on a Sunday morning. I haven't had it uh, lately, but I mean, I'll have people walk in and I remember one time a guy came in and he's like, I want to talk to the pastor. I sat down with them and he's like, oh, okay, I really need money right now. And I was like, wow. And and first of all, uh, just to let you know, FYI, most pastors don't have like access to the cash box or the church checkbook. So a lot of times, actually one of the worst people to ask for money is the pastor. <laughs> okay. Just FYI, because we, I, I know I don't, any church I've ever worked at, I don't have access to the money. Okay. I'm, I'm the pastor. It's not really my deal. I, I help facilitate oversee part of it, but I don't have instant access to money. And so I was like, wow, uh, I don't have any money, but I have, we have a great ministry in this area. Uh, called Crisis Center, and I can call the director there, and he will, uh, in a very brief period of time, can show up with a gas card and some resources to help out individuals. And so I said, "Man, let let me um, give me just a minute. My office, uh, my phone is up in my office. I'll run up there. I'm going to call so and so, and I can get you some help just in the next few minutes." He's like, and basically he was like, "Well, no, I need money right now." And I was like, "Yeah, I understand that. Just give me a minute. I'm going to go up to my office. I'm going to get my phone. I'm going to call so and so right now, and uh, we'll get this lined up. And we partner with this ministry, and they do a great job of helping people." And he's like, "No, I." I, I need money right now. And I kept repeating the same spiel only for him to get frustrated and mad and walk away. And I didn't really, you know, that was a scenario where I didn't really feel bad about that individual walking away because I was going to help him. I wanted to help him, but I wanted to be wise in, in, in my helping him, you know, because what happens and this, again, is where we have to use extreme amounts of wisdom because we have people who can come to our churches, our lives, and like, hey, give me 100 bucks. And you're like, 
okay, for what? You know, well, I need gas. I need this, that. And there is a struggle there because it's like, well, if I give you a hundred bucks now, is that really going to be the solution to your problem? And so I just kind of put in my notes, which I think we have to keep doing is establish relationships with people is that we really want to help people. Uh, again, I have, I've had multiple stories and someone, cut, someone uh, not long ago came up and said, Hey, I need money for this. And I said, wow, okay, again, I don't have money. I don't have a cash box. I don't have a checkbook. I don't even in my own life, my wife has the checkbook and I don't have any cash on me ever. <laughs> and so I said, let me, um, our church partners and gives money to several places that are very good at giving help. And I said, I'll message you back and, you know, message the person back. Hey, here, you can get food on this day. You can get help on this day, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I felt like I helped that person. I don't know if that was right or not, but, you know, I, we, we got to hopefully bring change into the lives of people because the worst story can be uh, a while back, the church I was pastoring, we had a food bank and we would give food to 60, 70 families every week. And it was great. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank Jesus. Right. I mean, uh, but what was sad about part of that ministry was that a lot of those people never came to the church, never got involved, never got connected I don't know if their lives ever truly got transformed or changed, but we gave them free food. And that is, I do think, where uh, we want to be different uh, than the world and just some other charitable community is we want to help people establish a relationship with them and get them beyond where they're at to a better place. Amen. I don't know if that helps at all. And here's the last one. Number five, to invest eternally. Matthew chapter six, verse 19 to 21 says, do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys moth nor rust i think i said that wrong and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart your wishes your desires that on which your life centers will be also i don't want to throw one of the greatest people i have i've had in my life was my grandpa johnson he was one of my heroes and when he died that was just devastating to me. But my grandpa Johnson probably grew up in this era or this time and where he collected a lot of things. So when he passed away, I remember he had guns and pencils and tractors, real tractors and toy tractors and old cars and knives. And I mean, he had all of this stuff and we had then, you know, uh, my grandma couldn't really manage all of that stuff. And so we had a big auction and then at the auction, you know, they're what do people do when they come to an auction? They're trying to get a good deal, right? That's why they're bidding. And uh, the, the goal is to get the best deal that you can. You don't want to go into an auction, right? If, if, if the auctioneer starts talking and you're like, uh, and he starts off, who will give me five, 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 five. You're not going to say, oh, I'll give you a thousand bucks when no one else is bidding a thousand bucks, right? And they're at five dollars. That's That's not the way the game works. Anyway, all that to say is, I remember my grandma being heartbroken and sad because she felt like should have got more money. And uh, and anyway, that really cured me of the need of trying to collect all this stuff because it's just stuff. It's all going to moth and rust and destroy. And it's only worth, <laughs> I mean, those things might have been worth a lot to my grandpa, but you know, in the end, they weren't worth that much, right? And so we have to be careful in this life that we are investing where we should be investing, especially as the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 10, 21. It says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love, high regard, compassion for him. And he said to him, you lack one thing, 
Go and sell all your property and give the money to the poor and you will have abundant treasure in heaven. And come follow me, becoming my disciple, believing and trusting in me and walking the same path of life that I walk. Guys, it's it's more than a call to sacrifice. And I love this quote that was in the book that I was reading, Counterculture. It's more than a call to sacrifice. It's a call to satisfaction in him. And if we can't sacrifice, if we can't give away our stuff because we feel like we just can't live without it, then then it's it's more about sacrificing. It's it's about that like we're not finding our satisfaction in him. Because here's the reality, which I'll close with, guys, is that this world and its pleasures are not our home. And that's what I love about some of the dear old saints in our church is some of those old hymns that they love to sing about. Uh, and a lot of those old hymns they love to sing, I know at least in my opinion, are, are about mansions over, uh, you know, I got a mansion over the hilltop and he's coming soon and all those kind of things. And man, what a great perspective that we should all have as believers in Christ is that we're not living for the now. We're living for eternity. So I want to challenge you to think about poverty and poor. I want you to think about how rich you are spiritually and physically and that God would move in you. I want you to think about how you can use your gifts and how you can work diligently for the Lord. I want you to be challenged how you can take steps of faith to partner with God, to reach out to people in a way that you never have before. So God bless you. I was stirred up. Thank you, Derek Manville. This segue is really great from the, the podcast we just did with him to the one that we're doing today. And I just challenge you guys in terms of living counterculture to this world that wants money and all this stuff, and you would live counterculture to that, and you would live radically for Jesus in your life. Thanks, guys, for joining us on this episode of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I will talk to you next time.